This is Trepwire with a special podcast, The Economic Impact of COVID-19 from the Ratings Agency Viewpoint. I'm Martha Kocher with TREP, a data modeling and analytics firm for the CMBS commercial real estate and CLO markets. I'm with Manus Clancy, Senior Managing Director, and Joe McBride, Head of Siri Finance. And joining us today is Eric Thompson, Senior Managing Director at KBRA and Global Head of the Structured Finance Group. Eric, welcome. Thank you for having me. Would you mind giving us a quick overview of your background for those that don't know you well? Well, I guess I've, I've been doing structured finance for about 20 years. Most of that has been around CMBS. Um, I led a CMBS surveillance effort at another rating agency uh, for, for many years before coming to KBRA in 2011 to start up its CMBS effort there. Um, and led the CMBS and then real estate units. And now I look after structured finance, which encompasses both real estate oriented securitizations such as CMBS and RMBS, as well as ABS and structured credit. How would you say what you've seen so far, uh, this pandemic and recession compared to the great financial crisis? The great financial crisis is not a great, comparison or not a good comparison. Um, I say that because with the great financial crisis, um, we had financial excesses in the system that boiled over. They impacted um, many different product types. But of course, in the run-up to it, credit deteriorated. Um, In that crisis, it did take some time for delinquencies to rise. And, you know, I guess they got into the, call it the low double digits. Um, Unlike a financial market issue, the pandemic was sudden, unprecedented, and I don't think I'm saying anything that uh, folks don't know, but it literally directly impacted the use of commercial real estate as opposed to potentially borrowers that were over levered and had tenancy issues, et cetera, and so forth. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is, as we all know, for weeks and months on end, you couldn't use a mall. You couldn't use a hotel And as a result, um, we blew through GFC delinquency rates quite quickly. Um, And while the delinquency rates have settled down some, um, and folks are over the shock and awe of just how quickly um, delinquency rates went up, which was, that was the fastest rise in CNBS history, At the end of the day, we're just in the beginning innings of a long, slow road through working out what modifications or forbearances may not ultimately take hold. It's interesting that you bring up the comparisons to the great financial crisis. We bring it up in in our earlier podcast that people don't realize how long it took for peak delinquencies to take place. Right. Bear Stearns goes out of business in early 2008. Lehman later in 2008. You can call that kind of the 
um, the peak headline risk of the great financial crisis, yet we didn't see um, delinquencies peak until 2012, I believe. Uh, part of that was because um, people were slow to throw in the towel. Part of it was that the servicers could only take um, so many properties on to resolve at any one time. There was a slow buildup for that. Um, this is a long-winded way of me saying that out of that crisis, we came out with several different changes to the market. Uh, lower leverage, more skin in the game for borrowers. Um, on the bank level, we saw um, the demand for stress testing. On the accounting side, we saw Cecil. Um, any kind of new discipline you see coming out of this, or is this so far afield of what we've seen uh, at any time during your career, or is this, is this just something that you just can't predict what the responses are from investors, lenders, uh, rating agencies, and so forth? I, I think that ultimately there will thing there will be things that come out of this crisis. However, perhaps where I'm short-sighted is I don't know how meaningful they may be because ultimately I don't perhaps understand, you know, how a normal functioning market will ultimately be able to incorporate pandemic risk. That's a shutdown for an entire, effectively where, where the entire economy um, has been you know, extremely impacted. Of course, some segments more than others. Um, what I do think is that CMBS, all things considered, at least in my view, from a rating perspective, I think that it has and will hold up better than it did during the great financial crisis and I say that for, for a couple of different reasons. Um, I think one of the first reasons is there have been, through the history of CNBS, um, there's been an evolution over the years. So, and some of those evolutions, and even, in fact, the great financial crisis itself, um, they created what I would say is a more robust market. Um, and that's on a number of measures. If you look at pre-crisis AAA and triple B minus credit enhancement levels, they were call it 12-ish and, and, and low threes. They're now 20 and seven. Um, so there's much more enhancement there. And not only is there more enhancement there is lower leverage as a general matter, but besides there being lower leverage, it's also not effectively, um, there's just not as much pro forma depending upon what your definition of that term is. I think that largely things have held and it's been on in place cash flows. Um, now, that said, um, I'm not saying that from a credit rating standpoint, Point, there won't be downgrades. We'll effectuate more downgrades this year than we have in our entire history at KBRA over the past 10 years. The difference is 
is that we're not going to be in a position where natural triple A's or the 20% class, in my view, very few are going to be impacted by downgrades, in my view, very few double A's. There will be um, the speculative grade part of the stack and the triple B minus part of the stack. Um, I expect them to be, you know, have a more outside impact on ratings, downgrades, and losses. Some A's, unfortunately. Um, but I think that, you know, as a general matter, things are in a better position from, you know, a credit enhancement standpoint and where the underlying loans were. What I'm saying, though, is somewhat predicated on vaccines and effective therapeutics that might be launched in the first half of the year and maybe get implemented. Maybe it's nine months and allow some, and allow the economy to better recover. Um, you know, in saying that, I guess there might be perhaps, maybe that could label me as an optimist. Um, but what I'm clearly, what I'm not saying is, is that, you know, frankly, the days of non-needs-based retail and how that acts, they're permanently impaired. Um, and where you're going to see significant downgrades, it is going to be on second tier malls and tertiary markets. If you're the second or third mall in a, in a tertiary or secondary market, I think that, you know, um, I, I don't see how you can really avoid, um, you know, downgrades and, you know, frankly, potential losses. I think that if the scenario that I stated plays out, um, I'm not an ascribe, I don't ascribe to necessarily a V recovery. Um, and commercial real estate certainly lags the, the general economy in terms of performance. I think unemployment's going to be, you know, it's going to be in the sevens. It's going to be, frankly, it could be double what we just had going into the pandemic. So commercial real estate's going to suffer. Um, I, I think that a key difference is, though, is that if the events play out where there are therapeutics and treatments or vaccines, I think the economy gets on a footing potentially faster than it did on that low, sl slow climb um, since the Great Recession. Um, and, you know, so I don't know if that quite answers it. I know there's a lot of generally, generalities in there that you might want to poke into. One other thing that has been different this time um, that I'm sure you'll remember is um, from 2008 to 2010, we went through 21 months of no issuance. Mm -hmm. um, in this crisis, we saw issuance continue in May and June. Some of that was um, collateral pre-COVID that was being squeezed out of the system and being securitized. So that would have already been baked. But we have seen some lending um, post-COVID, particularly in industrial office and multifamily, uh, a touch of retail. And, and really no hotels. Have you seen any meaningful changes in either the structures of the deals being done, uh, the leverage at the loan level or individual loan or lease terms uh, of the deals that you've rated over the last uh, three or four months? We rated about seven conduits and I, I could be off one or two going into the pandemic and maybe another six or seven coming out of the pandemic. So right up to August, 
you know, we were trying to stay hyper-focused on, well, gee whiz, uh, you know, what's different? What's going on? But the fact of the matter is, if we look up to that September point, you know, deal sizes shrank. Non-needs-based retail and lodging was minimal. Um, in fact, the lodging that was included in the deals, none of it was post-COVID originations. Out of those six or seven deals, say there was 250 loans. I'm giving you rough figures. There was only about 61 that were post-COVID originations. Of the post-COVID originations, and I'm talking about CMBS, not agency. Agency, by far, there was reserves. We saw non-core multifamily, ALIL, et cetera, those numbers decline. But in the CMBS, um, the good news was, was that about of those, of those 61 loans, if we broke down their balances, about 41% had debt service reserves, which we viewed as a positive that can help ride through the short term. Um, and, and on the couple of deals that we rated coming into September, those reserve numbers actually went up. They were in the mid 60s. Now, how long that holds, I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure um, from the standpoint that some of the, what we call preliminary engagements in rating agencies speak, where an issuer might show us a deal, we provide preliminary feedback and they either engage us to final or we don't. Many times those loans aren't closed. So I don't know how ultimately what will happen to the pools, but we're starting to see the level of reserves already decline. Now, that could be a function of certain property types, what the lease structures are and things of that nature. Um, but in any event, um, you know, coming into early September, we did see ample reserves. Um, I think the other thing that was quite interesting though was we actually saw if we isolated out what you might hear called shadow rated loans in market speak, not our speak, um, but loans that had credit characteristics that were consistent with an investment grade rating, if they were rated on a standalone basis. If we normalized for those loans and pulled them out of the pool, we actually saw leverage go up a couple points. Um, I'm talking about, so your, you know, your headline leverage figure might have been lower, but there was still an influence of barbelling. Um, interestingly, though, we saw the full-term I.O. percentage go down um, and, and more partial-term I.O.s, perhaps because folks were trying to structure through an event, whether that be a lease role or something of that nature. So when you so, talk about leverage going up, was that more because the pool was tilted towards things that are really kind of on fire right now, like industrial properties, which people are very bullish about right now, or other property types that seem immune to uh, the pandemic, maybe grocery anchored or Walmart slash target anchored type properties. Is, is that kind of like um, property-based bias, would you say, or um, is it something else? So, so here's where I don't have an answer for you. Um, I guess there's a couple of things going on. Yes, there were industrial and I would say even some self-storage that had some, some high, higher leverage points. But when you start to peel back the onion underneath that, 
there's just a myriad of factors in these pools. Um, you know, we've been trying to more even look at appraisals and where are appraisals coming out? How did, what do the appraisals look like? How are they qualifying, qualifying their opinion? Um, so we don't know, you know, yes, a little bit of it might be industrial and, you know, again, things like self-storage that might have had a higher leverage point, maybe even multifamily, Manus. But on the flip side, you know, there's also in the mix with the other property types, how did appraisal LTV play into it and things of that nature? So Eric, let me jump in here. You guys are having a very nicely nerdy conversation here, which is much, <laughs> very much in line with the Trepwire podcast. Uh, as we are a bunch of nerds here, um, but let me ask you, Eric. You're in, you're in Staten Island, is that right? Yes, that's what. So I'm we do this with every guest, um, and being as you're in, you know, an island nation called Staten Island, we'd love to hear what the vibe is out by you. You are New York City, but you are more of a suburb. So what is it? What's it like on the street out there? Look, I think that even though this is somewhat like a suburb, it's, it's, a, it's one of the five boroughs of New York City. Um, what I have noticed, I can't go back to my office until January, um, but what I've noticed on my daily runs in the morning is, is that if like traffic post-August has really picked up. Yeah. And most of that traffic is heading toward the city. Right. A lot of folks in this borough work in Manhattan. Um, on the other hand, what I would say is, is that, you know, stores, they're just not, they're not as full. They're not as populated. Um, and of course, you know, this borough has its restaurants just like all the others and folks are outside. I don't know how long they'll be able to be outside, but uh, it's been a little surreal. So what do you miss most as a native New Yorker? Is it, you know, going to Jets and Giants games? Is it going to the corner bar to watch, uh, you know, uh, a Jets or Giants game? Jets or Giants. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's looking forward to that these days. Is it, uh, Going to a concert, is it? Uh, Mattis is, is naming all the things he misses. His bucket right list, now. that's his bucket list. <laughs> yeah, what is it, Eric, about the, uh, the pandemic that uh, you're missing the most over the last six months? My family and I, my wife and I, we like to go into the city. We like to get a, you know, like anybody else, we like taking advantage of the shows. We like going out to dinner, um, you know, and I think that the simple things, like call them simple things. I never thought I'd miss them so much, um, you know, because they were just part of life, you know? So there's the whole like social component as well that doesn't even have to do with New York. Um, in the summers, I like to have a big pig roast and I have a very small plot of land here in Staten Island, but I'll have 90 people on it, but I couldn't have my pig roast. Um, I think that would have got shut down by the authorities, frankly. Um, it's that lack of getting together. And usually if we did avail ourselves of things in the city, it was with people, it was social. That's what I miss. I want to get on the, uh, the distribution list for the next pig roast. I'm a big <laughs> pig roast fan. 
So uh, we'll do a remote recording from the pig roast. But once the COVID's done, I would uh, definitely enjoy a big pig roast. Maybe we'd have a KBRA pig roast and do it, uh, you know, just blow it out. Since you missed this year, we'll make it even bigger and uh, do it on the South Street Seaport or something like that. So I miss going, I miss going to your office and having your founder kind of pop in and out of our meetings, have a donut or a bagel with us, you know, hang out, tell us his most recent story. That was always that was always fun when we came to visit Kroll. Well, the work part, yeah, I miss going to I miss being at the office. This has been incredibly hard because I'm the type of person I like to walk around the floor. Yep. I like to interact with analysts. I like in credit committees to be able to look people in the eye, not over Zoom or Teams. That's a whole other dimension of things. But who knew that we would ever be saying, I miss the office? Yeah. Right. Right. So let's talk about the forbearance uh, topic just, just for a moment. We've talked about this many times in our podcast, how forbearance is work. Um, sometimes the, the term is thrown around loosely. Uh, it's meant to imply a, a timeout in debt service payments, but uh, in this environment, more often than not, it means a tapping of reserves to keep a loan current and so forth. So there's different definitions. Um, but with what we're seeing now uh, as a data firm, you know, it, find, it makes the data and what's happening with the loans a little bit more opaque, that you'll see a loan go 30, 60, 90, then go current. You'll have to go into the watch list notes to get a sense of, is this current because of a cure or is it current because of a uh, forbearance, a tapping of the reserves? Um, how does that make your job more challenging? Um, do you find the same opacity that we see in the market that it's sometimes not easy to figure out uh, precisely what's happening with a loan and, um, you know, what challenges does that bring for you? In good times, Manis, I think that, I think with CMBS and the CREF CIRP, we have the best reporting out of any structured finance asset class that I'm aware of. Um, I wholeheartedly believe and agree with that statement. Um, forbearances, even though we went through GFC, the suddenness and the volume spike made this particular crisis challenging, and it still is. Um, we literally had to redouble our efforts to recode reports to go through keywords and watch listed relief for like all these kind of terms so that our rating, we have a CMBS rating unit and a CMBS subscription surveillance service so that we could use that. That has certainly been more challenging. Um, and it's been more challenging because, you know, clearly borrowers are understandably going to ask for relief in this environment. But if they are asking for relief, well, compared to one that's not, um, that's something that's a fact pattern that has to be considered. Um, and, you know, the ultimate clarity into what's going on, it isn't there. And when you don't have information, you have to make assumptions. Um, and the assumptions that are being made in this environment, they could be a little bit more challenging because regardless of what services might tell you rent and occupancies are, we all know they're gonna decline for at least a year. Even if my vaccine therapeutic scenario comes out, we lag the general economy. It's going to be through next year that you're going to see rents and occupancy decline. Um, 
So we're having to make some of the best educated guesses we have. That's the part that's tough. But when these situations arise, putting aside the forbearance, there's a lot of concern about confidentiality, about workout processes, not impairing them to the detriment of investors and realizing the highest net present value for the trust. So at the end of the day, it's an additional challenge over one that was already there with defaulted assets. But it, yes, it's been more taxing. I mean, I agree with you 100%. I think that the market is uh, incredibly transparent, the CMBS market. I think that um, people have really uh, slaved over the IRP um, from the rating agencies, from the issuers, from the uh, investors for two decades to make this really a best of breed um, standard. And, and I think that, um, you know, any criticisms of it are really, really on the margin. Um, so whatever I say about the forbearances has more to do with uh, the rapidly changing uh, landscape and more than more than to do with um, the design of it in the first place. But one of the, the, the side subjects has been, um, you know, the borrower experience, um, working to get the forbearances, uh, an unfamiliarity with it, um, what the master servicer can do, what the special servicer can do, and so forth. Um, do you think that this crisis leads to any longer term changes in terms of REMIC rules, in terms of people looking back on this and saying, we really should give um, the master servicer or the special servicer more latitude um, to do longer forbearances and so forth? Or is that just way too soon to, to kind of tackle that, uh, that problem as we're kind of right in the midst of it? I think it is too soon. Um, but on the other hand, like this isn't a new topic. Um, in regard to modifications and remics, and at various points, you know, during that I can recall during my career, it would always be surfaced of, well, will there eventually be a change? And you know, I think that even early out, the remic was, um, you know, some of its limitations have have been recognized. That's why there was facets in 1998, 1999. And, you know, people, some people looked at CDOs being the vehicle, um, you know, but ultimately I think there could be introspection that results in changes. I just think it's pretty early yet. And I also think that, you know, per my comment earlier, um, which I have a concern about that maybe goes beyond like a rating agency and, and things of that nature. I just think that there's a lot more negative headlines that are going to come out of this as these delinquencies, the shock and awe of the delinquency rates over, the workouts are starting, the forbearances, the foreclosures, the deed and lose, the loan sales. Um, and, and that's where things get a lot more messy. Um, so we're going to see a lot more headlines and, you know, there's still just a tremendous amount to work through. So Eric, when you guys are, obviously when you're rating new deals, you have models by property type and by geography and by all sorts of granular um, aspects of each loan and each property. Uh, what are your kind of larger bullet point thoughts on how those models change going forward or how they've changed already? I mean, I think that there's a, I hate asking a question and then answering it, but that's what I'm going to do. Uh, 
I know, right? I think uh, you already mentioned it before, right? Like kind of uh, non-needs-based retail is going the way of the dodo bird um, slowly but surely. And that was already happening pre-pandemic. But like, are there other areas, you know, in your models that you guys are changing now or thinking about changing in the future that, you know, are going to be, you know, true even after a vaccine and everything else? I think the, the short answer is we're not, we haven't changed anything yet. Um, but to qualify that answer a little bit, one of the advantages that KBRA had was coming out of the financial crisis, we had a blank slate um, and we really got to get a hard look at the data. What we calibrated to was an A being a great recession stress. And the stress, of course, increases. You go up to AAA, it decreases as you go down the scale. And we have idealized default rates and things of that nature. Per my earlier comment, right now, and, and again, you could disagree with, was the GFC A, some people might think it's triple B and have higher level, you know. But at the end of the day, that's our approach. Um, given my comment before, I think it's working. I think that our double A's and triple A's are going to be sticky. I think many A's are going to be sticky, although there are A's that will take lumps, particularly those where you might have a conduit that has 50% mall exposure or 40 some odd percent mall exposure. Um, when we change a model, that's a methodological change. Um, and what we try to do is make our methodology resilient and flexible enough that it provides us some latitude in the assumptions we use so that we can accommodate a stressed environment and still assign ratings that we believe will hold up and not need an immediate qualification or downgrade. So what I can say is that the deals that we've rated post-pandemic from a ge- as a general matter, using our existing methodology and taking more onerous assumptions for primarily vacancy factor, in some cases adjusting our stress cap rates, it's made our average haircuts to the to issue cash flows go up about oh, 300 or so basis points. So we're generally, are, we have double digit haircuts to issuer NCF that's already haircut. Our stress capitalization regime typically already produced value bears to appraisal of call it 35 to 40%. And that's continued. They're in the low 40s. So by virtue of doing that, of course, that's also impacted enhancement levels. Um, So for now, the answer is we haven't changed our methodology, but we are working within it to address the environment we're rating in. Um, You know, again, per my other comments, you always try to learn from things. We try to learn from ordinary ongoing surveillance. We're going to have a hard look back at this and, you know, as things evolve and could there be changes? Yes. But at this point, it's a little bit early for us to tell. With that, we'll close the special podcast. Thank you to our guest, Eric. Thanks to our producer, Keegan St. Ange may join us later this week as we look at what's happened during the week and how it may be impacting you. If you have a question, send us an email at podcast at trip.com. Until then, visit trip.com for more info and subscribe to the podcast with your favorite provider. Thank you for listening and stay well. All right.